1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Tonight we come to ordain a man for ministry to the gospel, to the pastoral ministry in a church, a brother that uh, we've gotten to know and to love over, for me, about a year. Um, It seems like a lot longer than a year. I don't know if that's covid or it's because you're just such a special guy that I feel like I've known you for a long time. We'll just leave that undecided. I'm not sure. But it has been a wonderful year getting to know you, brother. And it is a special privilege to be able to preach this evening and, Lord willing, soon to lay hands on you for ministry. But we come not only to ordain a man and to challenge him and charge him with his responsibility of pastoring and shepherding the flock of God, you're not here alone. If if it was just about that, I suppose you and I could have met in a room and I could have yelled at you for an hour and we could have taken care of it like that, called a few guys in to lay hands on you and been done. Uh, This is an ecclesial act. This is a church act. And your congregation is here, as well they should be. For we want to speak to them as well. I'm going to look at everybody. I'm not necessarily sure which one of you are sovereign joy and which one of you are, you know, heritage sneak-ins, or I know you faith community people are over there, relegated to the side, as we probably should be, I suppose. And uh, But in particular, my words are directed tonight to Ryan and to the congregation of Sovereign Joy Reformed Baptist Church. Snuck a name change in there on me. And I want to take my thoughts tonight from this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul speaks directly to the congregation of the Thessalonians, but indirectly he speaks to the ministers. His words are very brief. He's obviously said many things in 1 Thessalonians and also writes a second letter, 2 Thessalonians, to them. But his words are very brief, but very much to the point at the end, directing the church, directing the whole of the congregation, addressing them as brothers, addressing them as an apostle, but very softly saying, we ask you to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So two basic headings, if you will, for the passage, if you're a note taker and want to know kind of where we're going, the roadmap ahead of time, there is a direct request that is given to the church, and there is an indirect request that is made of the minister's. So I want to focus on those two things tonight, and then, Lord willing, we'll close and have a time of ordination and prayer. 
But briefly consider this first point with me, the direct request of the Apostle Paul to the church of the Thessalonians. He says, we ask you brothers to do two things. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul, as usual, is rather straight to the point. It's nice to preach the epistles of the Apostle Paul because they kind of fall out nice and neat for you at times. And he asks them two things. He says, You as the congregation of Jesus Christ need to respect your ministers, and you as the congregation of Jesus Christ need to esteem your ministers very highly in the Lord. You need to respect them. You need to esteem them. But before he says you need to respect them and esteem them, he couches his whole term with the phrase, we ask. We ask you brothers. So let's look at a few things in regard to this request of the Apostle Paul of the church. Notice the source of the request. He says, we ask you. It is an apostolic request. There is indeed an apostolic band of brothers that has come together to make this request of the Thessalonians. If you look back in chapter 1, verse 1, we're not left wondering who this apostolic band of brothers is. It is Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Right there in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This same uh, trio of men gets together and writes a second letter to the Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, there they are again, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These uh, men had an affection for the church in Thessalonica. They knew the church in Thessalonica, and they were known to the church as well. So it's important, I think, to keep in mind as we begin to look at this to understand who it is that's asking. It is an apostolic, I call it an apostolic band of brothers. The only apostle in the group is Paul, but the other two men, Silvanus and Timothy, and perhaps Silvanus is another uh, spelling for a more well-known name, Silas. You often think of Paul and Silas. Remember Paul and Silas? They were the two guys that got together after Barnabas went rogue with Mark. Remember that? Uh, They're about to go off on their second missionary journey, and Mark, who abandons Paul and Barnabas on missionary journey number one, when it comes to the second mission impossible event, he says, no, Mark is not to go. And Paul teams up with Silas, and Paul and Silas are sent off by the church in Antioch to go on that second journey. Barnabas and Paul to reconcile later on in years to come. But Silas and Timothy, Timothy, Paul's child in the faith, Silas and Timothy were close to Paul. They were were very much uh, of a strong affection for the apostle, and I think the concept of a band of brothers fits them well. Not only should we note the source of the request, we should notice the spirit of the request. He uses the very soft term, ask. That's maybe not what you would think. You might think, he would say, I admonish you that you should respect your pastors and esteem them highly in the Lord. You might think, he would say, I command you. 
I exhort you. This is of utmost importance. Last but not least. Now he just says, I ask you. But keep in mind, Paul says, we ask you. We, the Apostle Paul, Silas, Timothy, this band of brothers that know you well and that you know well, we have come to you to ask. Robert Thomas says in his commentary on the book of Thessalonians, he said, it's like a request that has come from a friend. You might look back at chapter 4 and verse 1, and you can see a little stronger urging here where he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Well, when Paul comes to 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 and says that we ask you, this is part of the more and more. That urging of 1 Thessalonians 4.1 is still in the context. It's part of the more and more that they are to walk in. This is part and parcel of their obedience in the Christian life. This is part of their sanctification. This is part of the will of God for them that is their sanctification. Well, I'll respect my pastor and esteem him if I ever get around to it. If he ever gets respectable or esteemable, then we'll probably do it. But as long as he's just the schmuck that he is right now, I don't know if I really want to do that. No, this is a command that is upon the church to respect and to esteem the minister. This is more of the same, the word of God that they have been given. You might recall that Paul has already commended the church of Thessalonica for having received the things that they heard from them earlier, that they accepted them as not the word of men, but as they were the word of God. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. At another place, he says in his letters to the church in Thessalonica, whether it was by word of mouth or whether it was by written letter, it's what? It's the word of God. This is, though it's couched in the soft terms of asking, though it's, though it's kind of laced with that, that atmosphere of, of a request from a friend, let us not forget, let us not mistake, this is command. This is apostolic directive. This is indeed God's word to them. Not only should we notice uh, the source and the spirit of the request, Let's think a little further on the substance of the request itself. He simply says, we ask you, brothers, to respect. We ask you, brothers, to esteem. These are very interesting terms, and they're very full concepts that the church needs to concern itself with. The word respect is an interesting translation of a word that literally means to know. We ask you, brothers, to know your pastors. We ask you to know your ministers. You ever had a conversation with somebody, you know, and they're like, you know, you go to church here. Oh, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to church over there, that church or whatever. And like, oh, yeah. And one of my conversations pieces I always want to ask since I'm a pastor, it kind of gives me a little thing to talk about. So who's your pastor? Blank. 
And then, then the real fun part is when they look at their wife. Who's the pastor there? I'm like, okay, let's start this whole conversation off again. Where is it that you don't go to church? Because obviously you don't really take everything with you when you go to the church you go to on Sunday. But the word here is not just about knowing information. Like, oh yeah, I know his name. No, it's, it's do you have a knowledge of your pastor? And we might even translate into that the idea that do they acknowledge them? To acknowledge them, to, to know them fully. They are called to hold those who labor in the word and prayer for God's people. They are called to hold them in their remembrance. They are called to acknowledge them. This idea is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you want to look over there with me in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. In verse, uh, we'll just kind of back up to, uh, uh, to verse 15. All right? We may refer to this text again. 1 Corinthians 15, or 16, verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men." The idea here of respecting those who labor among you in the Lord carries with it the idea of giving them recognition, giving them due recognition for the position that they do hold. Paul tells them in verse 16 that they should be in subjection to such as these, that they should give recognition and acknowledge such men. They are the ones who labor among them. They labor among them for their souls. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us something powerful about the, the responsibility these men have. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I mean, think about what it is you're asking these men to do. You're asking these men that will stand over you in the Lord and bring you the word of God and pray for you and shepherd you and care for you. You are entrusting your very souls and they're going to give an account for you one day before God Almighty. No wonder James says in James chapter 3, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because those who teach will what? They will receive a stricter judgment. You are not asking him to be the pastor and to perform a one week or one day a week or one hour a week wonder while the rest of the week he plays golf. You are asking him to labor over your soul. You're asking him to be willing one day to stand before Almighty God and give an account for your soul. That's what you're asking him to do. You're not just paying him to preach on Sunday, though you do that. And he should be supported. But the job, it's, it's got this eternal perspective. 
that says one day he will stand before God and give an account for your soul. If that doesn't make many men in the pulpit just want to quit, they haven't thought about it very long. Why? Why should you support and respect such men? Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, let me read one other passage here. First Corinthians 16, verse 15. We just read it, but we kind of breezed by it. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they, were devote, they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. You're asking them to serve you. So they do, they, they serve you. A couple weeks ago, we ate dinner somewhere. You know, we, we demasked for just a minute, and long enough to stuff some food in our faces, and then we quickly put them back on because, I don't know, we might die any minute. You never know there. The guy, the guy came up. We, we had dinner. It was really kind of funny because there was like one other family in this place. We had at Risky's downtown right off of Sundance Square. I thought it would be kind of busy. One other family in the whole place. I thought, wow, where are we going to sit? What are we going to do? The waiter comes over three times. We get there early. We're waiting for a, a, a young couple uh, to come and eat dinner with us. And the waiter comes over three times while he's waiting. He says, I'm sorry, I'm just bored out of my mind. Nothing's happening here whatsoever. <laughs> I felt bad for the guy. But at the end of the meal, you know, now they don't, they don't give you, like, you know, your receipt and stuff. They bring an iPad while they stand there. And you're supposed to do something with that little, you know, thing that goes across that tells you what kind of tip you want to leave to the boy who's bored out of his mind. And you think, if I, don't, if I don't leave him a really big tip, he might, like, you know, I don't know, kill himself in the back room. He's just so bored. So it says, it start, and then it starts off at 18%. My dad, uh, he'd have a lot of things to say about that. He'll start off at 18%. But that's kind of where he started off. I don't know what I ended up giving the kid or whatever. But, but you tip him. So here we had, like, you know, we, we bought dinner. It was like 60 70 bucks. We tipped, like, $18, $20 or something like that. And I just thought, man, just gave that kid 20 bucks. who's bored out of his mind. We will tip people to refill our tea for an hour, 20 bucks, and then they're gone. He was serving me. He served me by giving me tea, by telling me he was bored, and then he left. Understand the kind of service here that's being presented by the Apostle Paul is not that kind of service. It doesn't just differ in degree, it differs in a whole kind of service. I love that line on the side of the police car when it goes by, to protect and to serve. In a spiritual and eternal sense, that is what a minister of the gospel is doing for the people of Christ. He is protecting and he is serving. We 
We are to esteem such men. If there is any difference in the concepts of respecting and esteeming, I see the concept of respect as some sense of outward acknowledgement. Those things that we do that are more tangible, that are outside of us. But the concept of esteem points more, in my understanding, to an affection. You can do a lot of things for a guy on the outside and fail to esteem him. It means to consider. And he says not just to esteem him, but it says to esteem them highly. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love. There's there's two qualifiers to this, right? It's not just esteem. It's esteem them very highly and it's esteem them in love. The church of Jesus Christ ought to have a high view of the calling of a minister and of the ministry itself. Over in the little book of 1 Timothy, just turn a couple of turns to the right. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes Timothy and says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And since we don't have in our Reformed churches a distinction necessarily between ruling and teaching elders, This is talking about the elders. They labor in word and doctrine. They are to be doubly honored. They are to be held in a high regard, a high esteem. There is a call here in this concept of esteeming those very highly and doing so in love, there is a call for the church of Christ to be humble. A church that is proud, a church that is filled with proud men and women, is a church that is going to have a difficult time esteeming its leaders. They need to acknowledge, they need to know their ministers, they need to esteem them and hold them highly in the Lord, in Love. This is part of loving your pastor. I would imagine men that I've talked to in the pastorate have probably had experiences where they've pastored churches and they have not been loved. They have not been regarded. They have not been acknowledged. They have not been esteemed. But I've known other men who've had the privilege and the joy and the wonder of serving a body of people who love them. When I think of Hebrews chapter 13, a passage we looked at a moment ago, let me direct your attention back there to one other part of that. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. You want a joyful pastor. It's not really a secret. 
But if you want to think of it as a secret, here it is. Love your pastor. Love your pastor. Esteem him in love. Esteem him in your hearts with love and affection. Esteem him in the hearing and your attendance on the word of God. Esteem him in your speech to other men. Esteem him in your speech to God for him. Pray for him. Labor for him in prayer. We should probably not have a night where we get through not talking about Benjamin Bedham. But, you know, I don't really talk about him much anymore. I don't know if they'll verify that or not. But uh, there is a wonderful hymn that Bedham has written that is a prayer for ministers, and I wanted to share it with you. Father of mercies, bow thine ear. Attentive to our earnest prayer, we plead for those who plead for thee. Successful pleaders may they be. How great their work, how vast their charge. Do thou their anxious souls enlarge. Their best acquirements are our gain. We share the blessings they obtain. Clothe then with energy divine their words and let their words be thine to them thy sacred truth reveal suppress their fear inflame their zeal teach them to sow the precious seed teach them thy chosen flock to feed teach them immortal souls to gain souls that will well reward their pain let thronging multitudes around hear from their lips the joyful sound in humble strains thy grace implore and feel thy new creating power. Let sinners break their massy chains. Distressed souls forget their pains. Let light through distant realms be spread and Zion rear her drooping head. Esteem your pastor before God. Esteem your pastor before God in prayer. Pray for him. Pray for his wife. Pray for his children. Why? Why should you respect and esteem your ministers? Well, Paul tells us back in 1 Timothy or 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, this last phrase really kind of captures the whole thing. The reason that they are to be respected and the reason they are to be esteemed is because of their work. They give themselves to the work of the ministry. Now, embedded in here is an indirect way of speaking to the leaders themselves. It speaks indirectly about what they are to do. They are to work. And it qualifies this concept of work by three phrases. It says, they are those who labor among you. They are those who are over you in the Lord, and they are those who admonish you. 
Ryan, this text not only has a responsibility for the congregation, it also highlights the responsibility of the minister. You are to labor. You are to be over others. And you are to admonish. Now, there are many things we could say about the pastor, what he is to do. He is, he is to pray for his people. He is to be exemplary for his people. He is to do all kinds of things. But Paul focuses on these three. He is to labor among the flock. He is to be over them in the Lord. And he is to admonish them. Let's just think about a few of these thoughts here, a few thoughts in regard to each one of these. First, it says you are to labor among them. Respect those who labor among you. The respect and esteem that a man desires from the congregation he serves and will grant him joy and benefit and prosperity in the ministry is not something that just comes from wearing the badge. I remember when I was in, uh, in college, I uh, spent uh, oh, about a month out of a summer in uh, what we, we called it field training. It was like a mini boot camp. This was back when I was uh, kind of ROTC days at Baylor University back in the early 90s. And uh, about every three days, uh, we would all change rank. And that was just, I guess, so nobody would kind of get the big head or nobody would get depressed because they were like, you know, the bathroom cleaner and nobody would get overwhelmed being the, the, the camp commander or something like that. And, and we had this one guy that we really liked at camp and he became the camp commander. And he was like, he's just a great guy. Everybody liked him. He was sharp. He was, he was a hard worker, a good attitude. Everybody liked the guy. And there were three days that he was the camp commander. And we thought, that's just, that's the best. We love these three days. He would like fight for us. He'd try to get us, you know, not and keep us from getting in too much trouble and things like that. And then three days were up and we knew it was over. He was gone. And we wondered who was going to get camp commander after him. There was another guy at camp that everybody couldn't stand. A guy that was kind of an oaf. He was just kind of blah, sloppy, didn't do anything right. He was always in the back of the line. We were running. He was always slow. He had an attitude, chipping his shoulder about everything. And sure enough, the next thing we saw was on his little, little epaulets here, the camp commander badge right there. And we were all like, oh, great, three days with this guy. This is going to be terrible. And he stood up before us one day. We had commander's call. And there's like 120 of us. You know, we're like, we're like 20-year-olds, you know, 20-year-old guys. It's a room full of a lot of arrogance and egotism going on there, cocky. You know, we didn't want to listen to anybody. And we really didn't want to listen to that guy and he sat there and told us, he said, look, I know you're not too excited about me being the commander, but you salute the rank right there. I, I don't know what happened. We may have all walked out. It may have been a mutiny. It was a long time ago. But it was just, it was so depressing just watching this guy flaunt his, uh, his thing. Well, the command on the church is to respect and to esteem. But the command on the church is not simply to respect and esteem regardless of the man. In other words, the man is to be qualified. The man is to be set apart. And the man is to labor and to watch over and to admonish. In other words, they need to see you. They need to see you working. They need to see you labor. Let's look at a couple of passages. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
is a wonderful one. 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 12. First, Paul says in verse 11, command and teach these things. And then says in verse 12 to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Notice the phrase, set the believers an example. That's what you're to be, an example to the flock. Now we all shy away from that idea of the Apostle Paul's when he says things like, follow me, for I follow Christ. I mean, isn't that hard to say? That's, that's tough to say. And even when you get to that part in a text and you're preaching a sermon, I can, I can already hear somebody saying things like, well, the Apostle Paul said this. I have a hard time saying that, you know, or whatever. You need to be able to say that. Follow me, for I follow Christ. You need to set an example for the congregation. That doesn't mean that you say, do everything I do, be the same person I am, because I'm showing you exactly how to live the Christian life. No, but you're to set the believers an example. What? In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Be thinking about your speech. Be thinking about how you, how you talk. Be thinking about your tone how you hold yourself, how you speak when you're, when you're confronted. In other words, there will be some who will despise you for your youth. I like to think I still look young. I don't know. I probably don't. But it was really hard when I was in my 20s pastoring. And probably looking back on it all, I, I rest in the providence and the sovereignty of God. He had me pastoring at 27. I look back now and think, what in the world was I doing? But I know when I was 27, it was hard for people who were 80 to take me seriously. So you may have to work harder. Set an example for the believers in speech. Set an example for the believers in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Titus chapter 2. Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, a passage that we just read this evening. 1 Peter chapter 5, let's look in verse 3. In verse 3 it says, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. One illustration of this is the Apostle Paul himself. If we think, for example, in Acts chapter 20, where Paul calls the Ephesian elders down to Miletus, and he meets with them there on the shore. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 35, the Apostle says, In all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, 
you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why don't they respect me more? Why don't they esteem me more? Instead, say, God, help me be a better example. Help me be a harder worker. Help me have more integrity. Help me have speech that can't be condemned. Help me to love my wife and my children and them. So they'll sit there and say, why does he love us so? These are the things that we labor in as ministers of the gospel of Christ. And the word labor is an important word. It's a good word. It's a word that shows it's hard. I can still remember, I don't know when it was, uh, 10, 15 years ago, Tom Askell was here. You guys may remember. And he shared some illustration of the, uh, of the ministry. And um, <clears throat> he talked about the, the young recruit that called back to home, you know, when they were putting him through training. And they were like, you know, they, some of you guys were in the military. And you remember what it was like to crawl under the barbed wire? Remember that? You got to get down in your stomach. I don't want to do that now. I would just kind of rock on my stomach. That would be, that'd be bad. And I would not want to crawl through that. But I did back 30 years ago. I crawled through that under the barbed wire. And they're shooting off those, those guns. But it's just like, you know, it's just pretend guns. But imagine the, the young guy that goes to battle and they're shooting real bullets. And he calls back to his mom and says, Mom, they're shooting real bullets out here. That's what happens in ministry. It's real bullets, spiritually speaking. And they often come from people you would least expect them to come from. It's labor. It's work. In that labor, you are put in a position that Paul describes as being over others in the Lord. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. We already saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 16, that we are to be subject to our leaders. We are to acknowledge such men. Or Hebrews 13, 17, that we are to submit to those who rule over us in the Lord. The word is an interesting term, and it it, it is a word that uh, that we derive the, the concept of presiding over others. It's not the word for overseer. That's kind of what I thought right away as I began to look at this. I thought, oh, it's just being an overseer. There in 1 Timothy 3 that we read also the, the term of episkopos, episkopos, to look over, right? It's, it's, not the, it's not the term overseer. It's not necessarily the concept, but it's the idea of presiding, right? Of ruling over something. Um, in the early church, uh, the second century in particular, sometimes uh, the one who would lead the assembly in some of the documents would be called the president of the assembly. Now, that's not a term that we would use a lot. And you probably don't want to put that on your, you know, church uh, marquee or whatever, or your, you know, order of worship president, Ryan. I, that's not what you want to go for right now. All right. But uh, maybe after November, you know, you get all past that. Somebody thinks you're running for office. But, but the idea is, is, is presiding. And I was, I was thinking about just kind of a, kind of a physical image, because I, I like images. They help me a little bit. And if we think about the idea of laboring among the people, if we draw a circle, when Paul admonishes you to labor among them, that's what you do inside the circle. 
You're laboring among them. You're a, you're a fellow sheep. You're an under-shepherd, but you're, you're, you're with the people. You're, you're engaging with them, and as you do so, you're living an exemplary model-type life for them to see and to follow. Right? But then on top of the circle, the idea of being over, all right, the one presiding, not sitting above as if you're better than others, but by matter of office, and by matter of calling, and by matter of responsibility, you have to preside over things. There may be times when you don't want to preside. You wish you could give the presiding responsibility to somebody else, and may God bless you with six elders that you can pass the buck uh, to them later on. But for a while, you're going to be the presider. President Ryan, here you are, watching over the flock, yes, but overseeing what takes place in the flock. It doesn't mean that you determine everything that goes on doesn't mean that you 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 have the the final deciding vote on everything and it's your way or the highway it just simply means that this is your sphere of responsibility and you must preside over it remember one day you're going to be judged strictly for how you do that with the word of god and you're going to give an account for the souls that are in the circle and remember that while you preside in the image over the circle in fact you're part of the circle all right we're to oversee our brothers, and we do this, the sphere it shows us that we do this in, we do it in the Lord. You don't preside over them politically. You don't preside over every aspect of their life, but you preside over them in the Lord. But there's one last thing that you're to do. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, up to this point, it was some work. It's some responsibility. But at this point, you become the guy that nobody really wants to hear. You become the admonisher. Oh, it's Ryan again. He never likes anything that we do. I've pastored that church before. It was a long, long time ago. Everything they wanted to do, I said no. It was just like, I I just kept thinking, Lord, can I please say yes to something? (laughs) He said no, but he didn't really say that. But you get the idea. It was like everything they came up with was the craziest thing ever. There was no concept of a regulated ministry, no concept of a regulated worship. It was just, we want to do this. And it was just like a free-for-all. Anything that came up in their mind, they wanted to do. And I would sit there and say, no, that's not a good thing to do. I became very unpopular very soon. And to try to admonish them in these kinds of things was not something that they were really wanting to hear. The Apostle Paul says that for night and day, for three years, with tears, he did not cease to admonish them. And the word's an interesting word. It's the word uh, we get nutheteo from. Probably heard this word here, Mr. Counselor. All right. And so we're placing, we're setting things into the mind. We're, We're exhorting them and encouraging them with the word of God. It's often used in scripture in conjunction with the idea of teaching, teach and admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We see this in Ephesians. We see this in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, look over there for a moment. Colossians chapter 1, and verse 28, Paul speaks about his role as a preacher, proclaiming Christ. He says in Colossians 1, 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom and 
with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Warning everyone. Admonishing everyone. In our preaching, in our teaching, in our application of the word of God to the lives of men, in the declaration of the whole counsel of God to God's people, they are admonished by way of the word of God. This morning, in our church, we looked at uh, Isaiah chapter 58, and I thought of this particular verse when I thought of the concept of admonishing. There is, uh, we are not prophets, but there is some sense of a prophetic function in preaching the word of God. And here in Isaiah chapter 58, in verse 1, we find the prophet Isaiah told by God that he is to cry aloud, do not hold back, declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob their sins. To cry aloud, he must be bold. To not hold back, he must be courageous. To lift up his voice, he must be undeterred. He must do it like a trumpet, he must be clear. You must admonish men in the Christian life. You must faithfully proclaim the word of Christ to people who without it will die. It is a great responsibility to stand over the people of God, to labor among them, to preside among them, and to admonish them. It is a joyful thing when you do those things faithfully to have the church respond with respect and with esteem. It is, it is my prayer for you and for your congregation that you will labor faithfully among them, that you will oversee them and preside over them, not domineeringly, but as an example, as one who cares for them, that you will, that you will faithfully admonish them in the things of God. And it's my prayer that your congregation And I think we have every reason to expect this will be the case. They have been, and by God's grace, they continue to be respectful and esteem highly your work in the Lord. May God graciously bless you with the grace and the strength that you need to shepherd the flock of God. And may God graciously bless your whole church to faithfully follow Christ. We're praying for you. We love you. And we're so thankful that we're able to be a part of such a thing this evening. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you. We bless you for Christ, our chief shepherd. Oh, God, surely he is one who labors. He is one who is over us. And he is one who has admonished us faithfully. And he graciously gifts the church with men who will do that under his care. So we pray for our brother that you would make him a faithful laborer, a humble presider over the church, and one who clearly and boldly admonishes the flock, presents them with truth and places and sets it in their hearts and minds that they might be sanctified after their Savior. And Father, I pray for these precious people who have come tonight. God, they're they're, they're very coming this evening. 
is evidence of their respect and their esteem. And I pray, O God, that you would grace them by your Holy Spirit and by your word being worked in their lives and their hearts, that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and that they would hold their pastor in respect and in esteem. God, may you bring other men faithfully to serve alongside Ryan, some as elders, others as deacons, maybe some as men who will be in training and surround him with godly men and women in the congregation that will uphold him and support him, encourage him in the service. May he serve with joy, for it would be of no advantage for them to for the congregation to have a pastor who is full of grief and moaning and sorrow. So God, we pray that you would take this man and take this congregation and that you would join their hearts and their affections together in such a way that they, for the glory of Christ, would serve you as a faithful body, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, living faithfully to your commands, bringing glory to your name, and joy to their own hearts. We bless you, Father, for this evening. We ask, God, that you would help us in this time of laying hands on a brother, that you would encourage his heart and ours as well in the work at hand. We ask this all, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.